Hi, and welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. This is a sermon recording taken from one of our regular church services. You can find out more about us as well as more recordings like this one on our website, yokinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. We spent some time um, this year going through Peter's first epistle, and starting next week, we're going to go through. Uh, we're going to we're going to look at Peter's second letter. And I'm starting this morning though with the book of Jude because they were Jude and Second Peter were written at around the same time, and they deal with many similar um, circumstances. Uh, the book of Jude is only 25 verses long. And 15 of those verses you find in 2 Peter chapter 2 uh, in a very similar form. And there's a lot of debate about did Jude steal from Peter or did Peter borrow from Jude or did they both have a common source that they looked at. And this is one of those instances where I'm not even going to venture um, a suggestion because the opinion is so divided and it doesn't actually matter anyway uh, in the content of it. There's so much packed into this little letter that I couldn't fit it all into one sermon, so which is why you got a video at the start as well. Um, but it's, it's a bit like, you know, if you have a 200-word essay that you submit and then you have 2,000 words in the footnotes. Jude is kind of like that. There's a lot of Old Testament stuff in the footnotes that you've got to learn. Um, and so when you came in this morning, hopefully, you, if not, get it on your way out, you receive this. And you'll recognise this from the video. Um, and because it's fairly busy, there's a lot there, I've summarised on the back the in particular, the Old Testament stories that Jude uh, relates to. Uh, so if you would like, there's your 2,000 words of footnotes. You can go back uh, and, and read up on them afterwards because we would be here all day if I tried to go through all of that. Um, but Jude, in that section there, he covers three Old Testament examples of rebellion and divine justice. So there's Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, uh, rebellious angels in Genesis, and the men of Sodom. And then he gives three more Old Testament examples of rebels who then tried to corrupt others, because that's what these uh, people in his church were trying to do. So Cain and Balaam and Korah. And so you can read all about that if you want later on. So that's who these false teachers are. Let's start by asking us a question, what do they want? What is their goal? You know, like if I was, imagine I'm a false teacher. Imagine I'm wandering around the first century churches, going and preaching my false doctrine. Why am I doing that? What am I getting out of it? Well, the first thing is they're satisfying their own desires. Uh, Jude says in verse 16, they follow their own desires, they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Uh, and especially when you look at the parallels that he draws on from the Old Testament, we read that these guys are simply all about what they can get for themselves. And there are two common desires 
that they have, their greed for money and their sexual appetites. All they care about is satisfying their own lust. And Jude tells the churches, it's actually quite easy to spot false teachers. You know, the teaching itself might be close. You know, you couch your false teaching in half-truths and you just twist the scripture a little here and a little there. And you can do that. But the one easy way to spot the false teachers is to look at how they live. You see, people need to practice what they preach. If they're not practicing righteousness and holiness and honoring God with their lives, then you suspect that they're false teachers. Right? Because sometimes it's hard to, to know intellectually when someone's kind of pulling the wool over your eyes or when they're twisting the scripture because they might do it just a little bit. They might just do it subtly. But look at their lives. Look at their attitude. Look at the way they behave. Uh, Jesus said something very similar in Matthew. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Every, tree, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So this applies whether they are itinerant preachers in the first century or whether they're people you watch on YouTube or whether they're these you know, big TV televangelists or whatever. It doesn't matter who they are. And the same would apply to me or anyone who stands in this pulpit. We can say whatever we want, but if our lives don't match, then we're false teachers. So the second thing these false teachers want to do is they want to divide and conquer. Now, a good military leader knows that if you're facing a large enemy, best thing you could do is try and split them up and then you can attack one group and then you can attack the next group and you can split them up. Um, it's, a, it's, a it's, a, it's a military tactic, but it's also a tactic that others have used throughout history. Um, this is a poster from World War II talking about how Hitler divided and conquered people, how he, he got the Germans to fight against each other so that he then could come in and take over. So he called people gays or gypsies or communists. He, he convinced people that the Jews were responsible for their economic struggles. And he had people turning on each other, informing on each other. And then he used that division to take over the nation. Jude says that these grumblers and fault finders are people who divide you. That's what they're trying to do to us. You know, they, they whinge and they complain and they find fault with everyone and everything. And they start getting the congregation pointing fingers at each other instead of being united in our mission for God. You know, I have a very simple solution for these kind of people. I say, well, obviously you don't seem very happy here. Maybe you should go somewhere where you will be happy. It's a simple solution, isn't it? We don't want people to divide and conquer us. A united congregation can do incredible things for God. But a divided congregation is too busy fighting each other to worry about 
battling the true enemy. All right, that's what they want. But what are they going to get? Because what you want, what you get, is not always the same, is it? You know, you find, we just had Christmas. Did you get everything you wanted? Not necessarily. That's okay. You don't always get what you want. Well, Jude tells us, one of the first things he says is, don't be surprised that you're going to get these kind of people. All right? God knows in advance, and he warned us that we can expect these people. So Jude tells us that the apostles and Jesus foretold. They said, in the last time, there will be scoffers who follow after their own ungodly desires. You see, Jesus knew in advance not only who these people would be, but he knew what their motivations would be as well. So the first positive point to remember in this passage is that these people aren't anything special. They're nothing new. It's not like our enemy, the Satan, has come up with some, you know, uniquely devilish scheme to get in and divide the church. God knew what they would do in advance and he's prepared for them. And because he's prepared for them, their fate is secured. So he goes on and says in verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he asked an interesting question in the video. Why, why is Jude quoting from non-biblical books? probably for the same reason that I might quote Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis or Billy Graham. You know, these guys all still have good stuff to say, but they're not scripture. You know, if I quote from C.S. Lewis, um, you know, to help reinforce a point, um, that's because I believe C.S. Lewis is a great godly man who's got lots of wisdom and he has something to tell us. But I don't take his words as scripture. I use his words to help illustrate scripture. Scripture is the word of God. And so one of their books that they loved in that, in that time was the book of Enoch. And so Jude quotes from Enoch. And according to Enoch, who, who backs up what God has said all throughout the rest of scripture, that God has promised judgment on these people. See, from a human perspective, sometimes it looks like people are getting away with it. You know, we see these televangelists with their fourth private jet, and we think, oh, they're getting everything they want. You know, but no. Eventually, every one of us is going to have to stand before God. He is the judge, both of our actions and of our hearts. He knows everything and then this is this is why I focused on the second half of this letter this is the positive these are the the steps the guidance that Jude gives us for how to re-respond and this is where Jude spends most of his time he gives us five steps for dealing with these ungodly false teachers The first step, in verse 20, he says, Dear friends, build yourselves up in your faith. 
build yourselves up. Now, he's not talking here in particular about our personal spiritual growth. That's important as well, but he's talking to the church as a whole. He's talking to them like as, as a series of congregations. And it, because the false teachers are trying to dare down the church, the only reason they target individuals is to v- divide the church. That's their aim. And their job, they're trying to destroy the church. Their goal is destruction. But we need to be involved in a spiritual construction program. That's what we need to do. Uh, Paul talks about this when he starts talking about spiritual gifts. He says, you might come together as a church and each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church is built up. The work of building a church is not easy. Like any construction, it's got lots of different moving parts. It takes a lot of workers all cooperating together. And we're all following the designer's plan. You know, we can't all, oh, oh, I'm going to start building a chimney. But hang on, but that's the bedroom. You know, we're all following the designer's plan. And we find that in his word. That's why I put so much effort into sermon preparation and planning. Um, It's also why I prefer to go through sections of, you know, books of scripture uh, rather than doing a lot of topical preaching. Um, Topical preaching is good too, um, but I find that if you do it all the time, you end up coming back to your pet topics all the time, you know, your favourite topics. If I did topical preaching all the time, I'd probably end up preaching grace every week, you know, And, and that grace is wonderful, but you need more than that, you know. We need to be biblically literate. We need to be people who understand the whole scope of Scripture. Scripture is not just a book. It's a library of 66 books covering thousands of years of history, covering a multitude of topics. And I want to cover all of it. And so that's why we go through chunks of Scripture like that. We, we avoid error by being immersed in the truth. You know how they teach a bank teller to recognise a forgery? They learn what a true note looks like. You see, because every forgery could be slightly different in a different way. You can't possibly teach people about all the possible falsehoods they could encounter. So you teach them what is true. And when you are certain of what is true, something false becomes obvious. So we avoid error by being immersed in God's truth. And so when we come together on Sunday, a big chunk of what we do is focusing on God's word. We consult the master builder's plans. Now, obviously, this is something you can do on your own. But in order to build ourselves up as a body, it's something we want to do together as well. And so you do it with somebody else. You do it in a a small group. And we do it here on Sunday as a congregation. Step two is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is one that could get me in trouble, all right? Because praying in the Spirit may be praying in tongues. That's certainly what um, Peter and others talk about. So Paul says this, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So some churches will try and teach you that praying in tongues is the only way to pray in the spirit. Others are so firmly against it, they'll say, oh, no, 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 that's a devil's thing. We don't do that anymore. Well, I think all Jude is saying, or all Paul is saying, is that praying in tongues might be a way that you do it. If you want to do it, fine, that's entirely up to you. But it's not the only way to pray in the Spirit. The phrase to pray in the Spirit means that we're asking God to guide us in our prayer. We're asking God to direct us in how we should pray, what we should pray for. Who needs God's grace right now? God, help reveal to me who I should be praying for. How should I be praying for them, Lord? And the Holy Spirit empowers our prayer. There's a wonderful passage. I didn't put it down on here, but Paul says that the Spirit interprets even when we have groans that are too deep for words. In other words, when our heart is breaking, but we don't know the right words, we don't know what to pray for, and we just cry out to God. The Spirit knows what we're praying for. But these people, these false teachers, however, he says they follow mere natural instincts and they do not have the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. Do you know why I know they don't have the Spirit? Because the Spirit always points to Christ. That's why he's here. I remember listening to John Wimber give a, a message once and he was talking about signs. You know, all these things that happen in the church, they're signs. He said, well, I'll tell you what, if they don't point to Jesus, they're not signs. They're just flesh. They're just things you're doing. The Holy Spirit points to Christ. See, these guys just point to themselves. They're only after their own needs. So our prayers should be focused outside of ourselves for the most part, on God's church, on God's kingdom, on God's glory. That's where our prayer should be focused. If we're going to be praying in the Spirit, that's what it means, to pray for the kind of things the Spirit would want us to pray for. So our prayers will follow God's will, which is revealed to us in his word. It doesn't mean God's Spirit can't speak to you outside of his word but anything that the spirit says must be consistent with his word or it's not the spirit talking to you and so our prayers will be for lifting others up rather than ourselves praying in the spirit simply means that we pray what the spirit wants us to pray step three keep yourselves in god's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So Jude tells us that it's really obvious that these people are false teachers. Just look at how they live. Just look at the fruit. They live like the ungodly. You know, you can tell they're not living by the Spirit because the Spirit isn't greedy and graspy. The Spirit doesn't lead you into immorality. The Spirit doesn't lead you to lie to people. So you know they don't have the Spirit. You know they're not walking by the Spirit. That's not the way we're called to live. And so Jesus said this, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. He says, if you keep, your, keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I keep my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, we need to be clear. Jude is not talking about legalism here. He's not saying that we somehow earn our salvation by doing good works. That's not what he's saying. Um, he makes it very clear in the second part of that verse that our salvation comes through Christ's mercy, you know, mercy. That's where God's grace comes from. That's where our salvation comes from. But what he's doing here is he's expanding upon Jesus' statement about people's true nature being evident by their fruit. A child of God who is walking by the Spirit will produce fruit. It's inevitable. You don't have to work at it. You know, you don't have to force it. If you simply concentrate on walking by his word, on walking with his spirit, the fruit will come automatically. And our spirit-filled life will be obvious because we're seeking God's glory. We're not seeking our own. We're seeking the welfare of other people rather than just grasping for what we can get out of it. We don't walk in the spirit in order to earn our salvation. We walk in the spirit because we are saved. So the difference between us and the ungodly should be evident. Fourth, be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, it's probably obvious to everyone here that there are no perfect people in this room. No perfect people. Um, you know, people often whinge about churches and, and, oh, that church does this and that church does this. I say... Look, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you just spoil it because you're not perfect either. None of us are perfect, right? We all make mistakes. There's also none of us here who has perfect understanding of God's word. Not even those of us who have a theological degree and have spent decades studying it. We don't get it right all the time either. We're going to make mistakes. Now, in the context of Jude... He's suggesting that some people might have actually started to go along with the teaching of these false teachers. They're starting to listen to them and because they're just twisting the truth subtly, they're getting conned. Oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, that's, oh yeah, maybe this strange teaching could be true. But you know that second song we sung this morning? Uh, the one that talked about how we might, you know, follow the world's idols and we might let the world twist us into going their way but we pray Lord defend my heart keep me to you you know we all run the risk of falsehood you know whether it's a, a YouTube teacher or whatever you know we all run that risk but Jude's answer to this is don't cut people off Salvation is not based on our intellectual understanding. Salvation comes as a gift from the cross of Christ. So people will make mistakes, but they're part of your family still. The people sitting beside you are your brothers and sisters. They love the Lord even when they get it wrong. Jesus still died for them. And so Luke tells us 
to show them mercy. Our task is not to condemn one another, but to lovingly lead one another back to the truth. That's mercy. And the fifth and final step is a challenge to save the wicked. Now, this is a bit of a weird verse, in the, a bit of a weird passage in, in Jude, all right? And we need to learn the, um, a little bit of Old Testament to understand what he's going on about. So we go back into the Old Testament book of Zechariah. All right, and this is followed, this is after the exile. The people of Israel, or those that wanted to come back, came back to Jerusalem and started to rebuild the temple, and they got a high priest again, and this sort of stuff. And so Zechariah um, has had a visit by an angel, and an angel shows him this vision. So Zechariah writes The angel showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And the Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, this not, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I put fine garments on you. So there are a couple of just powerful images in here in this prophecy. The first is this image of of the Satan, uh, whose name simply means the accuser or the adversary. All right. That's his job. That's what he does. He stands here and he accuses us. And so he's pointing a finger at Joshua the high priest, and he's saying, look at this man, he's a sinner, God. Surely he can't represent you. And that's what Satan does, doesn't he? He accuses us. He jo- Oh, look at you. Oh, look at the fault in your life. Ooh, look at that mistake you made over there. You can't possibly serve God. And so he tries to condemn us. Now, there's no doubt in this vision that Joshua has dirty clothes. That means Joshua is a sinner. We are all sinners before God. All right? That's very clear in this prophecy. But God says a couple of things. The first thing he says is that he has snatched Joshua and all of Jerusalem out of the fire. In other words, they're all sinners, they're all condemned, but I've rescued them from judgment. Even though we are sinful, God demonstrates his love and mercy by keeping us from the judgment that we should face. That's the whole point of the cross. And then the second thing God does is he gives Joshua new clothes. So clothes are an image of our sinfulness. And so he takes the dirty clothes and gives him clean clothes. The same image is picked up by John in Revelation. And John goes a little further because, just in case we don't get it, he says, your clean white robes that given you are the righteousness that God has given you. And so our righteousness is a gift from God as well. You know, we we don't take off our own dirty clothes and put on clean clothes and go, hey, I'm protected from sin, you know. No, God does that. It's a gift. And so with that picture in mind, now that we understand that picture, Jude says... 
Save others by snatching them from the fire. Show them mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothes that are stained by their corrupt flesh. See, Jude tells us if we can try and save these people, snatch them out of the fire, they're heading for judgment. If they keep going the way they are, that's it. But they can still be saved too. Jesus died for them as well. So we want to try and snatch them from the fires of judgment. But we don't snatch them from the fire by jumping in with them. You know, we don't, we don't jump in and get our own clothes dirty. We don't jump into sin so that we look just like them. You know, the church can do a lot of things to, to uh, be accommodating to the world so that the world can, um, you know, not be so put off and want to come to church. But Jude says there's a limit to that, though. There's a limit to that. You don't want to go to the point where you become just like them where you just end up becoming sinful and dirty like they are. The object is not for you to jump into the mud with them, but for you to draw them out of the mud. And we don't want to fall into that same error. All right, so let's wrap up where we're at. We have an enemy. He is called Satan, the adversary. All right, he's not God's equal and opposite enemy. God has no equals. He is our enemy. He's just a fallen angel who hates us because we have what he can never have. And so he wants to tear us down and he wants to destroy the church. And Jude says this is exactly what Jesus and the apostles prophesied. Evil men will try and infiltrate the church and try and bring it down from the inside. But we don't need to fear because God will deal with them. Instead, Jude gives us some guidelines on how to spot the truth and how to spot the false. And he gives us some practical guidance. So we build up our faith by being immersed in the word of God. We pray in the spirit, seeking his will rather than our own. We keep in his love by modelling what it means to be a child of God. We are merciful with those who doubt, treating those who are struggling with mercy rather than condemnation. And if possible, we try and save people, not by jumping into the mud with them, but by drawing them out. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, we know that we are sinners. We know that we have failed you. We know that we continue to mess up. And yet we are assured of that beautiful promise that we are safe and secure in our salvation because it, it doesn't rest on what we do. It rests on what you have done for us. We thank you for the grace and mercy you showed at the cross. And so, Lord, we don't fear the judgment anymore because Jesus has paid the price. And, Lord, there are others that are going to come in and they're going to try and, they're going to try and trick us. They're going to try and lead us astray. Their goal is for their own benefit and to destroy the church. And so, Lord, we, help, we ask you, help us to spot them. Help us not to fall into that error. 
And Lord, forgive us when we get it wrong and help us to forgive one another. Help us to treat one another with love and with mercy and grace because that's how you treat us. Lord, help us to live our lives in such a way that those outside the church can't help but see there's something different. There is something that they want. There's a satisfaction. There's a joy. There's a peace that we have in our lives because we are walking with you. And we pray that that will draw them to us and that we then can snatch them from the fire that we could snatch our friends, our relatives, our loved ones, the people we care about, Lord, that we can snatch them from judgment. And then you can give them righteousness that comes from you. So, Lord, we ask you to help us to walk by your spirit. Help us to reach out in your name to those that are lost, to those that are destined for judgment. Help us to be your instruments of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today, and extra thanks to those that have donated to us online. It's your generosity that enables us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. If you would also like to support us, visit ybc.church/give. You can also access our website to find out more about our community by visiting yokinebaptist.church or by connecting with us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.